Good morning. No, good afternoon. Sorry. And that's not my fault. <laughs> oh, my. I um, was having trouble standing up. And I'm coordinated. <laughs> so there's uh, a presence of God here today. It's just really, really awesome. I've been accused of bringing it, but I didn't do it. I have my own, but uh, there's a resident um, atmosphere of the presence here. And uh, what could be better? What could be better than that? Now, this is interesting. The title of my message, and I don't usually put titles on them. I just sort of get after some stuff. But it's Restoration of Hope. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Jim Hill, I trust you. Come here. You're an honorable man. Put your eyeballs on. It says restoration of hope, right? Yeah. It says restoration of hope. Yeah. Now, that, that, uh, that's not to say anything about me having that as though that's a big deal. It's something to say about God's real word for this place and these people. Because any idiot can hear something. In other words, if the Lord speaks to me, you know, that doesn't necessarily validate nor invalidate me, but it's, it's not about me. It's about uh, the word God has for you. And... Um, America, in general, has been in a very hopeless place. And in my opinion, the church has led the charge in many ways. And a hopeless church is a non-biblical, unbelieving association of religious individuals. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Anyway, um, it's great to see all of you again. Some of you, I guess, are brand new. There's a buzz to panic back there. For those of you who don't know Buzz, you still with IBM Buzz? <laughs> they used to call IBM Big Blue. Now it's sort of medium blue. <laughs> I can remember uh, <laughs> when the power of God hit Buzz, the invisible power of God, under a, an anointed plastic tree in our church years and years ago. <laughs> and I have not come this morning to make sense. I've come to release... Uh, Jesus' power. It might make sense. <clears throat> but we had a ficus tree years ago when the Lord was moving a fresh. And I looked over there. It actually, as, as if this were that room, it would be sitting right over there. That's a dangerous place. Right there near where Ann Stepanek is. And we had... Um, Two categories of people in the church, at least. Category one were the touchy feelers. And I'm, I'm sort of in that category. It's all right. I'm not putting anybody down. And then there were the brainiacs. And Buzz, to me at that point, I think he's not that way now. He was sort of in the brainiac category. Or there were, like Don Hardister, the... Um, black belt karate security guys who never let anything get out of control. 
And one day during one of our meetings, I looked over at the ficus tree, and there was Don and Buzz on the floor, immobilized. And one of them might have had carpet burn on their head. I'm not sure, but... uh... (laughs) And I'm saying all that to say that uh, God loves touching people. He loves helping people. And he loves messing with people. (laughs) And I've been made in his image. (laughs) And after his likeness. In certain ways. All right, let me read this verse. Turn to John 21. Or get it up on your iPad, iPhone, or those Brand X. (laughs) Hemroid, what? Android. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Misunderstood you. That's terrible. I'm already in trouble with my wife for saying that. So, Oh, this is my wife, by the way. Why don't you stand up? And Don Gein says, you never age. This is the ageless beauty. <laughs> John 21, verse 14. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. And um, you, have to, you have to read the Bible pretty carefully lots of times. You could assume from that verse he only did that three times. He only made three appearances. But in that very gospel is another appearance not even mentioned in that verse. He appeared to... Um, in John 20:14 he appeared to Mary or Mary Magdalene. And so that would be four times. And then um 1 Corinthians 15 says he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And then he appeared to the apostle Paul That was a post-resurrection, post-ascension appearing. And to me, if if you read back through all of those, to me, one of the primary common characteristics of why he did that was to impart hope. A year ago last night, I had an encounter with the Lord, and um, I'd, I'd just come back from a ministry trip to Washington, D.C. area, and when I woke up, now, you know, let me explain this a little bit. Although I woke up, I didn't wake up. It's, you know... Some some <clears throat> spiritual encounters are in dreams, have nothing to do with your geography. Sometimes Jesus will appear or the Lord will appear to you in um, a particular form which contains what he's going to say to you. Does that make sense? And... Um, and then there's a, there, there are those encounters that when you're having them, you're having them right where you are, but it's not like, I can't explain it. It's, it's going on, and it's real, but it's not real. But I guess it is real in a spiritual sense, and so I guess I've thoroughly confused everybody in here. Yeah. But anyway, I woke up, and when I woke up, I was looking, I was laying on my left side, and so I was completely, you know, parallel, laying on the bed. And when I woke up, there was a smiling face looking at me in the bed. Now, there's no, you know, sexual connotation here. I'm not, you know, please don't 
That's why I tried to explain all this before I said it so you wouldn't worry about that. But this guy was laying in bed smiling. And I was thinking, what in the world? And he said, hello, I am going to be your new best friend. And his name was Charles Hope. I've mentioned this before when, I, when I've been here. Because I mentioned Charles and then I remember Chuck's a Charles. It's probably a, another message for old Chuck Moore. Try to get him through another day. <laughs> and... um. He had on a Philadelphia Eagles hat and a Philadelphia Eagles sweater. And all of it happened, there happened to be in my bedroom, just to make this make more sense, a very brand newly paved road right by the bed. This is where it happened. And then I heard a voice, and the voice said, could this be the work of one man? Now what I get from that is what Jesus did on the cross and what God wrought in Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection is utterly, absolutely, amazingly huge. Huge. I don't believe we'll understand um, a fraction of what really happened from what Jesus worked. And it's like I was hearing his adversaries say, just the work of one man. How could one man do this? Is what they were saying. And, um, well, as I analyze, and you have to. You can have awesome dreams that make no sense, that seem like they have nothing to them. But if you wait on the Lord, you'll get amazing insight. Now, the Lord told me as I was looking at this man that he was a rogue. A rogue. Have you ever heard the term rogue, like rogue elephant? They're out of control. All you can do is kill them. Well, the hope I was looking at is out-of-control hope. But <laughs> the only thing you could do is kill him, but he already did that. Because that was a picture of Jesus. Ow! Oh, excuse me. <laughs> I get these charges. And I'm afraid one of my appendages will fall off if I don't give it a little. <laughs> no. Um, the kind of hope we have is uncontrollable. You can't kill it. Because our hope is a living person who overcame death. He overcame the grave. Now, Charles means free man. So... Free man Hope, who'd been raised from the dead, who was garbed in Philadelphia Eagles clothing, was saying to me, I'm going to be your new best friend. Now, here's what the Lord's saying. We could read the Bible about Hope makes not ashamed, and we'd go, well, wouldn't that be nice? Or we could have some crazy, be, be drawn into some encounter with God with pictures and ideas and, and as we get to the bottom of them, it suddenly dawns on us how real God is, how much He wants to do, what His viewpoint is, what He wants to give to us, or what He has given to us. But he is, we, we have been, I don't know what it is, if we're dull... And I'm not bringing any criticism, accusation. I'm just talking about sort of the human condition. Sometimes we're just so dull. We, we, 
We don't understand that our brains tell us stuff all the time that's inaccurate. We think it's accurate, but if you're not happy, it's not accurate. I have a very simple philosophy. People were made to be happy, and when they believe right, they are, and when they believe wrong, they aren't. Now, you could be a rocket scientist. I'm not. But I'm happy most of the time because of what I believe. Come here, baby. Yes or no? Am I happy most of the time? Yes. Sit down. Thank you. (laughs) And she can beat me up so she's not afraid. (laughs) In other words, if she'd have said no, I'd have thought, Oh, okay, gee, I've got some changing to do. (laughs) But I believe people have been created to be happy. They have been created to express joy. And the way um, they know, and see, this is awesome. This can help you figure out what the craziness is versus what real reality is. And the craziness makes you mad, particularly when it presents itself as truth or reality. And, it's, and I'm not just talking about whether it's the Bible or the Koran. I'm talking about subjectively in your life and the things you go through. There, there's a renewing of your mind. I've studied some of this. Um, um, brain. I don't know what you call them. They study the brain. They have confirmed that everyone's brain has one of the functions is to give you a continual viewpoint of reality as a way to give you a sense of control. And it's inaccurate. It's just the best fallen mentality can do. But it's inaccurate. Or, or, you know, Robin, I don't know if I believe that. Well, I I don't. I don't. I, I understand. But as they say, the proof's in the pudding. What's your life yielding? Because you're the sum total of your belief structure. A friend of mine told me yesterday, genetics dictates 3% of who you are and how you act. That's your DNA. You know what the D stands for. It's not dinonucleic, robotic, whatever. It's dysfunctional. (laughs) Ever since the fall, we have dysfunctional genes. But we don't have to pay attention to them. And you can know you're off when you're angry. You can know you're off when you're sad. Now, I'm not saying certain, and I didn't mean to get in all this. I've got something else to say here, but I'm trying to help somebody here understand where they are and how to get out of it. You know, because there's not just laying on of hands. There's thinking right. A lot of people, you need laying on of hands because you've been thinking so wrong, it's affected your body chemistry. And so my philosophy is this. God made me to be happy, and I'm happy when I believe the right stuff. And when I believe the wrong stuff, and I'm unhappy, that tells me I'm wrong. But humility is a huge key. Most people don't want to admit they're wrong. They'd rather be unhappy. I'd rather be happy than right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I quit meddling. Here's what hope means. Hope is the cheerful expectation of good. 
is the pleasurable, confident expectation of good, and it's the soil from which faith springs. What does hope do? Well, it protects our minds. Think about that. If you are negative, you're vulnerable. You can't be negative and hope-filled at the same time. And so hope protects your mind. Actually, it says in, um, I just forgotten all about this, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, sort of in the Baptist thought process, not putting down Baptist, but I mean... Certain groups seem to have certain thought processes or patterns. But in the Baptist concept, that hope of salvation would be, well, I'm miserable now. Everything's bad now. I'm sick now. But if I get sick enough and die, I'm going to heaven because I'm saved. Now, that's all true, but it's not enough. That's all true. I mean, honest to goodness, if we get in such a big mess that we just fall apart, everything falls apart, we can't make it come back together, Lord doesn't make it come back together, and we die, we're in good. If you're a believer, that's not a bad thing. But <laughs> let me ask, why would we need a helmet of salvation now? if we had sort of pushed our hope into the future or into the millennium or when Jesus came back. See, I'm going to tell you a common characteristic of not all deception, but much deception is it puts the promises in the past or in the future. And the enemy does not care what you believe after a given point just so long as it doesn't help you today. But the helmet of salvation, well, salvation means every gift of God. Jesus said, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. When I die, I get to go to heaven. Come. No, he had a completely different viewpoint. Jesus seemed to think that once he came, and since he was the door, heaven's door, and since God has a characteristic that, that uh, any door he opens, no man can close, that heaven was an accessible reality now. Right now. Right now. But if... Um, yeah, think about the government, all the government stuff. Obama, Newt Gingrich, Mitt Romney, Rick Santorum, the White House, the Congress. Who's depressed so far? We. <laughs> yeah. And, and here again, I'm not, I'm not putting those guys down, but the political question. The apostles, not um, third-string disciples, not, third, not first-century third-string disciples, but the original apostles ask a political question to Jesus. And he, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What were they asking? You know, honest to goodness, they weren't seeing the kingdom of God the way Jesus presented it. They were still somehow hoping we can get Nero in, out, Messiah in. And so they said, when, is this when you're going to do this? They were saying, Jesus, this is a great opportunity. Have you, have you considered maybe doing this now? 
poor old Jesus. Not very smart, is he? He said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But, so he says, no. However, here is what will answer that situation. You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I don't know how many of you know Bob Jones. He's been here, though. I guess most people know him. He's been battling some illnesses. He's a lot better now. But at a given point, a woman said to me, well, it's just better that he go on now to avoid what's coming. And I said, what? Let me tell you what Bob says is come. First of all, here's how I ever pray for Bob whenever he gets a malady. I say, can, Lord, can the God of all the earth not do right? Now, I'm not questioning God's integrity. That's dumb. I'm reminding him of his integrity because that's an aspect of prayer. And I say, Bob, thir- uh, Lord, 30 years ago, Bob died, went to heaven, and you sent him back for the revival. That hasn't started yet. You told him he was going to see it. You told him a thousand million youth were going to get saved. That hasn't happened yet. Why should he stay sick? And certainly he should not go home now because of what's coming. She had it backwards. Here's what I believe is going to start happening. And and I'm just going to lay this out. I believe we're going to begin to have literal appearances of Jesus. Now, I'm I'm not talking about the second coming level. I believe in that. I believe it's bodily. I don't believe it's just a spiritual deal. The Lord himself shall come. And I mean, you can't be any more Jesus himself, Jesus, flesh and bone, not blood, gave all that up. He's got flesh and blood and spirit, I guess. But uh, you can't be any more bodily than the Lord himself shall come from heaven with a shout and the trump of the archangel and... Becky on the flute. That's not in there. But anyway, you can't be any more literal than that. But I believe we're entering an era of new personal. I've never said this anywhere in my life. I believe we're in a new era era, era of E-R-A, not E-R-R-O-R, E-R-A of literal visits from Jesus. Literal. Now, is there biblical precedence for it? Yes, the Apostle Paul. That's a good one. And I believe part of what the Lord will do is confirm 21st century apostolic ministry on a new level. Because I have a lot of people who talk about apostles and their administrators. They're not real, or they're not real enough. I'm not saying that's not what they're called to be, but apostles are city changers. They're not just church planters. Evangelists can plant churches. Teachers can plant churches. Wash women. Anybody, and I'm I'm not, come on. You know what I'm saying. Anybody, 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 not to demean that. You could be an awesome wash woman. You'd be a major league wash woman if you started church somewhere. But no, no, no. It's not just about um, having elders. Oh, you're an elder, you know. Oh, or having three churches where you're a bishop. No, you're not a bishop.
It's got to be more than that. We have sort of denigrated. And see, but, but see, until we have this kind of hope, this kind of hope that convinces us. Now, over in John, you know, I feel like I bore down on some folks here this morning. I'm feeling a little bad about this. But this is on me pretty good. Um, chapter 21, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And this is how he showed himself. Let's say, Jesus, show yourself to us. How many of you want to see him? Yeah. I want to see him. Yeah. I have 25-year promises from three different prophetic people. I'm going to see the Lord. I want to see him. I don't deserve it. But I've discovered every time I've ever met the Lord, whatever he did to me made me deserving. Like when he washed me in his blood, that made me deserving. I want to see him. I want more power. I want to do more for people. I want to see better stuff happen. Sick people get weller quicker. Dead people get up. And not because I'm a lunatic or crazy or scared the funeral director half to death or God, you know, have you know these people that, you know, they, listen, I know what it's like to pray for dead people. I pray for dead people. They just didn't do anything. And me and a buddy of mine have picked a crippled person up, who got a good friend of ours who'd been beat almost to death with cancer who couldn't walk. We picked him up and drug him around a room, believing God to make him walk, and put him back in his seat, and he went and died. And guess what? I am not through doing that. Because my hope's not in me. My goodness, if you knew me better than you would think, that guy is not going to make it. But no, my hope is in the God that raises the dead. I have a new best friend. A new best friend. I have a new best friend. Best friends are people that love each other and want to hang out with each other. Hope wants to hang out with me. I don't have to get him to. He wants to. He wants to impart to me who he is. He wants to rub up against me and get some of him off on me. He wants me to look at every situation and just go, nah, that's nothing. So what? We don't have a building. Baby, we don't have a building for our church to meet in. Guess what? That ain't nothing. Building come. Ha, ha, ha. I might get cocky any minute now. <laughs> now, Jesus showed himself again. Testimony means again. Whatever you're testifying to has the again DNA in it. The again factor. Simon Peter... Let me tell you something about Peter. I was telling Jim about this the other day. This is important. How many of you know people, or how many of you did this, you went out to find yourself? When Jim and I were growing up in Byron, we went to smoke weed, get drunk, and enjoy women because we're trying to find ourselves. <laughs> Rejected what our parents thought because we were Trying to find ourselves. Who am I? Who am I? Maybe taking this drugs will help me discover who I am. Maybe free love in the physical, non-committal realm will help me find out who I am. Maybe arguing with my dad and rejecting everything he ever thought will help me find who I am. Who am I? How can I find out who I am? Well, none of the options I just gave you work that good. Now, how many of you remember Jesus called Simon Barjona, gave him a new name? What was his new name? Peter. Peter. 
Well, if Jesus names you, what's he doing? Particularly if he gives you a name other than the name you already have. He's telling you who you are. You think you're Simon Barjona. But no, you are a chip off the old block. Peter, little stone off the big stone. You think you're a fisherman. No, we're going we're gonna to build a gate in your honor in the New Jerusalem. There are only 12. Now, later on in the text, this is pretty interesting. Jesus says, and I'm just jumping around. He says, children, have you any food? Because they tried to go fishing and they weren't catching anything. Sort of what they did whenever they got away from Jesus. Children. One translation says, then Jesus says to them, boys still under construction. <laughs> boys. <laughs> what would a boy still under construction? He doesn't know who he is yet. You can be 50 years old and not have a clue. You can die and still not know, which is tragic. Well, how did Peter find out who he was? One day Jesus asked him a question. He said, Simon, who do people say that I am? And he's, I don't know if it's him or other. Well, they said, you are Elijah. You're one of the other prophets. Or you're John the Baptist. It's sort of a, John the Baptist is sort of a crazy why would the Lord kill him if Jesus was John? The, it isn't making sense, but that's what people, they don't think straight. And then Jesus asked this question. Oh, who do you think I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah. Meaning, you're the one God promised for the ages. You are the Savior of the world. You are Almighty God. And guess what Jesus said to Peter? And you're Peter. Now, what am I saying? Till you know him, all you've ever done is trying to find yourself. In business. In whatever area, but who do people? And so, Jesus wants to. He wants to. You want. He, uh, he he uh, he wants you to see him as he is, so he can tell you who you are. I had um, an encounter years ago, the Joyful Philip encounter. Um, I had this amazing dream where I met these little angels, but they looked like Down syndrome children, and I think Down syndrome children are sort of pre-angelic. They're awesome, you know? And when I picked one of them up, they asked me who I was. And I said, I'm Robin McMillan. And they said, oh, you're Joyful Philip. I didn't know who I was. I had another encounter where I was going to the airport. And when I looked at my driver's license, instead of it saying Robert Agnew McMillan, and I'm proud of that Agnew. <laughs> Byron Willie Wicker. <laughs> That's not really his middle name. That was Joe Namath's middle name, though, so it's not a bad one. No, he said... I looked, I'm sorry. I looked at my driver's license at the airport, and it said, John McMillan. And it was for an international flight. I thought, they're not going to let me on the plane. Years ago, when they started cracking down on the names, I had somebody buy me a ticket for a ministry trip in Robin McMillan when my, I'm Robert A. And so I had to take part of a book I had written with my picture and name in it so they would actually let me on a plane. 
So when I looked at John McMillan, I thought, they're not letting me on this plane. I get to the airport. Mr. McMillan, come right in. Take your seat. What's that all about? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. I'm not just the second son of John D. and Lila McMillan, who sometimes did well, sometimes did poorly, who grew up not really knowing who he was, who was looking for people to tell him and couldn't find anybody that could really tell him, who tried this and tried that and got married and did church and gave himself to church, gave myself to church, and the church could not tell me who I was. Gave myself to business, and business could not tell me who I was. Business could tell me this. It's January. It's time to start over, and we're going to fire you if you don't do better than last year. That's who you are. But since I've had encounters with the Lord, He is increasingly rebranding me. I'm not who I was. I'm not who you have known me to be. I'm not who you think I am. I'm not who you think I am. No no criticism of my wife. But it goes much deeper than that. A human being apart from the man Christ Jesus, he is the only person who can speak into you and identify who you are. And he doesn't even give it to you. He helps you find it. He gave it to you. He helps you find it. Appear to us, Jesus. Do something in a 21st century that's unprecedented, where thousands, yea, even millions, find out who they were created to be. They are imprinted with the imprint of heaven, not a man. Jesus said to one man, go find a donkey upon whom never a man has sat. We've been donkeys that men have ridden. Donkeys that men have tried to guide us into getting their stuff to work. But there's somebody else. Jesus is saying, well, I'm going to make you a new donkey. I'll be a donkey if Jesus will ride me. If he will remove the imprint of other people, if he will remove the impressions and the impositions and the viewpoints and the lies and the stories and the input and the only heaven's input registers. I'm not, I'm not Robin McMillan used to be at Morningstar. Robin McMillan used to be at the Lamb's Chapel. Robin McMillan went to Erskine College. Robin McMillan grew up in Due West. There is a rebranding coming. There is a new discovery of identity that we're in right now. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's time to be you. You wanted to be them. Well, they want to be you. They just won't tell you. It's time to be you. Oh, my. A couple of things here. Verse 2 says that. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan, Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. What were those two other disciples' names? I don't know. How many of us are looking for a name? In the wrong way. You could say to uh, John, John, why did you leave me out of your book? I was there, me and... Can't remember his name, John, but you know. Can you be a nobody? You'd be happy with being a nobody? You'd be nobody from nowhere doing what you were told? You know. You could be happy with that? My first answer is, of course not. 
I want to be a somebody from somewhere getting some recognition. How many of you feel that way? I feel that way. I want to be a somebody from somewhere getting recognition. Okay. Well, what if you don't? You're going to be happy? I'm not. <laughs> you got the truth man here this morning. <laughs> but one of the keys is God really hasn't created us to be nobodies from nowhere. He really puts in people desire to succeed and excel. Don't let anybody steal that from you. That's another human, that's a religious. Now, let me go on. Some things I can't say again because I'm not sure what I said because I get in the zone. But you could probably get this CD. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not giving you a hard time. Let me see. You're nobody. But you're... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so see, religious spirit pushes you too far every way. Yeah, every different direction. You're not supposed to be a nobody from nowhere. But if you are, you need to get happy there. Then you go on. Simon Peter said to them, verse 3 of chapter 21, I'm going fishing. Here's what Peter was probably saying. I'm going off, breaking my former connections. What former connections did he have? These apostles. Jesus. See, they were in the uh, funk zone, you know, being in a funk. Yeah, they were... You know, where are the fulfillment of the promises? Why has everything gone askew? Why are the creditors knocking on my door? Why have my dreams gone up in smoke? I mean, where's Jesus? He rose from the dead. Now, where is he? Well, he said, Peter, let's go to Galilee. I'm in Galilee. Where is he? I've been down here three weeks. I don't know how long. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I don't care what you do. I'm fishing. All of us do that. This awesome. This is awesome. This is just the human dilemma, and there's nothing to be ashamed of. You, you, with all good intentions, you launch. Things don't work out. You either misheard, misunderstood, misdid, or you're just getting dealt with, and you're just there. And the enemy bombards you with all the thoughts and all the accusations, and even when you've done wrong, he doesn't have a right to accuse. You don't have a right not to tell the truth. But he doesn't have a right to accuse. Because guilt got nobody anywhere. Guilt didn't get anybody anywhere. So, he goes fishing. And that night they caught nothing. 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 When morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore... Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. This is so amazing that Jesus can appear to you in the flesh and you not know him. You know, we have to be realistic about the spiritual realm. In Revelation 22, John fell down before who? He fell down before this being and tried to worship him. And it was a man. He says to John, I'm a man like you. I'm, I'm, I'm from the sort of the brotherhood of the prophets is what he was saying. And that was the great apostle John. So spiritual pride is foolishness. When you see the great apostle John wanting at the end of his life, after having known Jesus, suffered for Jesus, walked in power, established churches, wrote the Gospels, fall down, try to, try to worship a man. 
we have to lighten up. You know that? We have to lighten up. We have to realize we're right some. But you're not going to get brownie points for being right all the time. It may get you in more trouble than you can stand. When morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. The disciples didn't know him. I have a picture of Jesus on the shore. He's on terra firma. He's on firm ground. And they're out rocking in that boat. And Jesus' job is to get them out of the boat, out of the confusion, out of the turmoil, into something substantial. So he says, <laughs> Boys still under construction. Do you have any food? And they answered him, No. Little piece of advice. The best way to answer yes and no questions are with either yes or no. Great cloud of witnesses behind me there. <laughs> oh, what do you mean? I've counseled people before. And they've gotten, say, in a um, sexual mess or a immorality. And I'll say... Did you have sex with this person who was not your mate? And they say, well, for whom, <laughs> for whom does the bell tolls? <laughs> Hugo said, the bell tolls for thee. No, um, don't answer, answer yes. If God asks you a yes or no question, he's not looking for information. You're in trouble if he's asking. Not bad trouble. Say yes or no. The longer an answer, the less truth's in it. I know a guy going through a church squabble, and he's got 800 pages of evidence. You know what that means? There's a whole bunch of lying going on. If you can say yes or no, you can get free. Did you do the right thing? No. Should you have done this? Yes. Boy, it's got to flush this out. I think that's important. Now, Jesus, in verse 6, he says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find. That's awesome. The season of fresh promises is coming. Because we're all in this mess. Really, in some way, shape, or form, we're all in this mess. We tried, we failed. I'm, I'm a member of a charter group of select few in this room who tried and failed together. <laughs> and life did not end. It started again. That's what it says here. It says, um, when the morning had now come, Jesus asking that question. Let me tell you something, folks. It's time to be happy. It's time to be hope-filled. This is a new day. This really is a new day. This is a new day where you serve a God who knows everything you did wrong all he wants you to do is just get close to being honest. Don't even tell all of it. Because you don't really know. But just get as close as you can. Watch what he does. Be as honest as you can. Not about other people, about yourself. See what he does. See what he does. He'll go out of his way to help you. They get so much fish they can't bring them in. Verse 7 Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. Why did John know who Jesus was first? I don't know. I know his, he knew his love. I think something resonated in his voice. I think it took them back to another boat ride fishing trip they made with Jesus. 
One translation actually says in John 7 that Peter was fishing naked. Other, other, you know, there's a debate. It doesn't matter. I hope he wasn't. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to, but the truth is, after the passion of Jesus, Peter really had been stripped naked. I mean, he, he was vulnerable. He was hurting. He was disappointed. He had left his job behind. He had, in the biblical sense, forsaken his family. He had jumped in, lock, stock, and keyhole. And it all fell apart. Jesus died. When he was resurrected, they didn't believe it. So Jesus keeps coming back to them. Here's what he's saying. He said, I know you're hurt. I know you're disappointed. I know things didn't go your way. Let's go do something else. Let's go change the world. Let's go get baptized in the Holy Ghost, change the world. Let's pray for your leaders, but quit worrying about them. Let's go change the world. Get filled with the Holy Ghost. See me. Feel me. Get in touch with what I'm thinking. Discover what I think about you. When you know what he thinks about you, everything changes. Everything changes. Everything changes. Um, one thing here. This is awesome. Because this is the effect the real Jesus has on people. It said, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was naked, and he plunged into the sea. See, that's what Jesus does to people. You've left all that. I mean, that's what he was saying. I'm done with this Jesus stuff. I mean, he didn't say it. I'm done with this apostle stuff. You guys aren't any better than I am. You know, he's done with this church stuff. It ain't working. And then he thinks that's Jesus. And what's he do? He plunges. I'm a plunger. And I'm not talking about a... I could be. I don't know. Sometimes I feel <laughs> I've cleaned up some messes myself and created some. But no, I'm, I'm, but I mean, my wife will, my wife will tell you, you, you know, I can get depressed. I can go through stuff. But you know what? I just get back up. I just get after it again. Guy said to me, what are you going to do when what you're in falls apart? I said, do something else. Everything I ever did fell apart. That's what things do. They break. Sometimes they break bad. Sometimes they break good. But they break. You know, I'm not putting a curse on this church. 25 years, what's this going to be? Who knows? I hope it's good. But the work Byron and Becky and this team have done is not to make sure you've got insulated windows and nice carpet and a good sound system. It's an investment in your life in a way so that no matter what happens, you plunge. So no matter what comes, you jump in again. Come what may, I'm uh, putting my clothes back on and going for it. Going for it. <laughs> 